Shoot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychomedia Angelo. We'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Dan the Man Sebastiano. But tonight, I have a very, very special guest, and I want to get right into it. In a career spanning nearly five decades, Bill After became more famous than some of the notable athletes he covered. By gracing the covers of an After bag, your career was virtually assured regardless of who you may have been. He is arguably the single most respected wrestling sports journalist in the United States, and he is a man who I have dubbed the gatekeeper of kayfabe. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to present to you Bill After. Bill, how are you, my friend? It's great, but I can't talk to you because I'm kayfabing everything. <laughs> so, no, thank you for that great, um, that that great uh, introduction. It was You're absolutely spectacular. Welcome. I really appreciate it. You are quite welcome. Speaking of kayfabe, Bill, let's get right into it. There's a story in oh, your wait, book wait, that wait, I wait, 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 one sec. I just yes, want to sir. tell you something based upon your introduction. Yes, sir. I'm going to say something that the late, great Captain Lou Albano used to say about himself. Brother, I'm a legend in my own mind. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's get beautiful. right into the book. That's beautiful. This book? Yeah, that book. This one yeah, is, is wrestling this, fixed. I didn't know I, it was broken. I didn't know it was broken. I you know. know. Well, let's talk about, you know, there's a story in your book. And for people who don't have this book, what are you waiting for? Go out and get it. Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken by Bill After. There's a story I feel I'm involved in. And I knew all the participants and, and a couple of them very, very well. Bob Zamuda, Andy Kaufman, mm-hmm. Jerry Lawler, Bill After. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, yes, sir. Wait, wait, we're a New Yorker like I am. It's Kaufman. <laughs> Kaufman, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman, all right. Yeah, and you know what's funny? He corrected me about that a lot. It would just come out, Kaufman, Andy Kaufman. Oh, it's all right. Go ahead. It's I'm a sorry. Philly thing, you know? It's funny about that. New York is Kaufman, South Philly it's Kaufman. Well, you know, I live in the burbs in Philadelphia, so I have to be careful which neighborhood I go into to uh, to, to say his name. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this. You were um, of the mindset that Bob Zamuda, for some reason or another, didn't like you. And no. Wouldn't ac- or wouldn't acknowledge you. I think really is what it, that they wouldn't acknowledge you. Yeah, I never said he didn't like me. I, I've never, if I met him, it was maybe one time. I don't know the, whether he likes me or not likes me, but in his book, when he uh, detailed the story of uh, how Andy got to Jerry Lawler, just like the movie Man on the Moon, they passed me right by. Man on the Moon producer said it just wasn't Hollywood enough, so I got it. But I don't know why um, uh, Bob skipped over it. I don't know him at all. Yeah, yeah. He's a very funny person. Does he not I, like me? I don't know. Well, I I think I can put the kibosh on it for you. Um, I know Bob Zamuda, and I knew Andy. Um, Bob was very protective of Andy, and he was always suspect of people who he thought wanted something from Andy uh, or his his related fame. And I think it was just Bob being Bob. He's a very cautious guy when it came to Andy. Um, 
I can honestly say I believe he. It's not that he didn't like you. He didn't. He didn't really know you. Right. He didn't know you like the the world of wrestling did. Certainly, Andy knew who you were mm-hmm. very well. In fact, uh, and I was involved in a little bit of that. You know, um, because I knew Andy and Bob and JJ uh, McGuire, who was involved, uh, who who knew the the secrets back in the day. And myself, there was only, and as you know, Bill, there were only a handful of guys that uh, this close knit group of guys that really knew what was going on. Yeah. You know, was it a work? Was it a shoot? You know, the, Andy and Jerry were magnificent in blurring the line. Oh, and, absolutely. And Andy blurred the line in life quite a bit, by the way. And, and as you know, well, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Um, you go back uh, probably to the late 60s, early 70s, working for an irascible character named Stan Weston. Well, it, I started with Stanley Weston in 1970, actually, right. not in the 60s. Okay, um, 1970. Yeah, 1970. Stanley Weston was in the 60s. He's the guy who uh, published and invented the original wrestling review and boxing illustrated magazines. Yeah. That was yeah. Stanley Weston. First wrestling magazine I ever bought was at Sunnyside Garden in Queens, New York in the early 60s. And it was the first issue of Wrestling Review with uh, Eddie and Jerry Graham on the cover. I remember and, that. And I, and I was so smitten with that magazine. I bought two of them. I begged my father for one dollar so I could buy two copies, and one of them I took all the color pictures and hung them up on my wall. And my friends would come into the house and say, "Why do you have guys on your wall? Are you like?" I said, "No, they're my wrestlers." Yeah. I said I put Playboy on the other wall, but I don't have any room right now. Um. So yeah, Mr. Weston, Stanley Weston, um, gave me my start in uh, in the mid '60s. Um. And into the late 60s, I was doing a radio show in New York on WHBI 105.9 FM. And I bought time and uh, I started doing wrestling interviews on there. Oscar Keneal and Mike Rosenberg, who are the promoters yeah. at Sunnyside yeah. Garden, were good enough to yeah. let me come down and do interviews. And uh, once in a while, when I went to the matches to interview people, I take this little Instamatic camera with film. If you don't know what that is, everybody... Google it. it was amazing. Um, and once in a while, I'd run up to the ring and take a picture. And I sent Mr. Weston some of these pictures. And he wanted to know, how did you get in the dressing room? And how did you get those pictures? And that, I sent him a letter. That's amazing. I've heard Stanley Weston was quite a character. Um, define what you've heard, because I'm not sure what you've heard. Well, I, I, I heard that he was kind of this, um, this like New York character. No, 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 no. Mr. Weston. Those stories, are, Mr. Weston, the story sounded Mr. so great. I wanted to believe it. <laughs> no, I uh, that, that that was Bert Sugar, probably, who eventually, uh, with Lou Eskin, bought the magazines for Mr. Oh, Weston sure. uh, much later on. I mean, Bert Sugar was that colorful Bert character. Bert Sugar with a hat. 
Right. Mr. West and the cigar. Mr. Weston yeah. lived in Rockville Center, New York. He had an office originally on 42nd Street, but okay. he was never that um, that boisterous New York guy. He, he loved being yeah. home with his yeah. family. I so, want to yeah. tell that story so much. I love those old characters. I knew a guy. Uh, you, you probably knew him, too, at some point, Bill. Uh, Joe Franklin. Oh, Joe. Joe and I, I worked it, for Joe. Now, listen, listen. So you knew uh, Rich, uh, Rich, um, Rich, his his sidekick there, Richard uh, Ornstein. Yes. Okay. Richie. So yeah. if you go to YouTube, yeah, and you in Bill After interviews Joe Franklin, and I also when I started my radio show in the mid '60s in New York, I have a audio cassette somewhere in here. Where hold on one minute, don't go anywhere. I'm right here. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Joe Franklin was actually here. It is. Joe Franklin was actually my first guest, and he's on here. He's on here. He was my first guest. Um, and Joe was a very dear friend. Joe is very good friends with uh, Captain Lou Albano as well. Oh God, sure. And no, Joe loved the wrestling business, and Joe would do anything. For me, but if you worked for Joe, which you did, yeah, call Joe. You call Joe, and he'd say, "Who is this?" I'd say, "Bill Abner." Bill, you're a wonderful man. I love you. You're a wonderful man. Who is this? And that—that that was Joe. Joe was great. You know, you know? I, back in the day, Bill, I did a great Joe Franklin impression, and he would have me call people as him, and cuss them out, and cancel them off the show. He, the guy was such a river. He, you really, I mean, he was such a character. What I remember when he did his TV show, Memory Lane, it was always brought to you by Hoffman Beverages and New New Nuco, my friends. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes. Joel Franklin, my friends, welcome to the show. That's I great. Love you. He was great. So let's talk about, you know, it's funny. You told a story just a moment ago about Hanging your wrestlers on the wall. I did that as well. You got it behind you. You're still doing it. Yeah. Well, now I do it, you know, virtually. <laughs> but when I when I used to hang the pictures on the wall, my father, you know, thought I was a little strange. He actually went out. My father, at the age when I was 13, 14 years old, bought me a Playboy magazine and said, "Here, hang these." Up. <laughs> my father did that to me too. So I, it was bad because I only hung up the Playboy interviews. Not the- <laughs> <laughs> so let's just uh, let's let's get into the, what's going on. Um, I want to ask you your thoughts because uh, you know what, Bill? Honest to God, there are as many opinions as there are people you ask. The empty arena era that we're in. I've got to ask, what do you think of it? Well, what's, what's going it, on? It was very. The first few times I watched it, it was very, I don't know, unexpected. It was different, but I saw a lot of guys missing a lot of moves and reacting to the moves that they missed. Um, However, now that they've gotten quite a few shows under their wing, both WWE and AEW, I've accepted what it's become. And it's one of the few mostly live um, things you can watch on TV that is athletically 
uh, an athletic sport as well as entertaining. And the other thing is, though, it's forced, like the WWE at least, to do new things. Because if you saw what they did with The Undertaker and AJ Styles, it was like a cinematic gem. Uh, The thing that they just did with The Undertaker, the the series that they're doing with them, it's making the WWE go into... Uh, a different mode that's even more creative. So no, I'm I'm used to it at this point. Well, yeah. I guess the old adage, Bill, that necessity breeds invention, is as true in wrestling as it is in in any other walk of life. It's well, interesting, though. Wait, 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 wait a sec, Andy, stay in your room there. They think you're dead. Okay, just stay in your room. I'm sorry. That's another show we'll do. <laughs> That's another one. Good. But, but uh, no, the MP arena, the, right? The, the uh, uh, they've they're reinventing themselves in a lot of in yeah. a lot of ways, and to get through, you know, us wrestling fans to get through this, why not let them? As long as their wrestlers are comfortable doing this, mm-hmm. and they're taking all the precautions that they can take. Yeah. And go ahead and do it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you know, um, they, they've they committed themselves to putting on a product. I guess you make the best with what you got, you know. Um, but you know what? It's, it's strange, Bill, to see people reacting to a crowd that's not there or selling to a crowd that's not there. That's I have thing, Right. Now, that's one thing that looks unusual to me, but they're not doing it as much as they did at the beginning. Okay. I think some of them are uh, also, as much as I love the product, because I'm, I'm a fan of everything. You know that. Yeah. Oh, sure. So, um, but sometimes when the girls open the show with three of them going back and forth, it's almost like um, like a high school skit at yeah. the of it with the girls. Yeah. But when they go into action, they're fabulous. They're amazing athletes. They really yeah, are. absolutely. So you have to look past the no audience. Uh, my surprise was as yeah. great as the WWE production team is. And I know because I've been on their network and I've seen what they've yeah. done. Oh, I've absolutely. Studios, that they didn't uh, put in a fake crowd. They could have done it. If anybody I know. Could have, they could have. You know, they have the audio tracks to pipe in crowd noises you know yeah they they could easily have done that they could have done you know digitally amazing things sure you know with with a you know to make a building look like it was full yeah but we're getting comfortable with this now i think i'm sorry say again you froze up i think i I think we're i think we're getting comfortable with this yeah what, what what it looks like now um, it, it, it's going to be interesting, though. Um, will will the crowds when they do come back react as they did before this pandemic? Uh, will they? Will the wrestling fan just always be the wrestling fan, or will there will the mindset be changed now because of what they've expected to come to see? Let me call all of them. Hold on. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, while Bill does that. <laughs> it's a great, great question that I have to give you, and I don't know. Fair enough. Do we know how long it's going to take for me 
to be sitting next to you in a, in a wrestling arena? We're not sure. Are yeah. you comfortable sitting next to me or vice versa at that point? We don't True. know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, you and I both know, Bill, that the wrestling fan is, a, is an entirely different animal. Yeah, we are. Yeah. You <laughs> yes, stay animal. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, where do we go from here? We, you know, you and I have lived through the days of uh, of Bruno, who I know that you knew and I knew Bruno very well. Um, Sal Carrenti, of course, who you know has been a guest on the show oh, a couple of times. Uh, my pal Sal. Yeah. Uh, our friend Davey O'Hannon, J.J. Dillon, uh, our, our buddy the Boogeyman, they've all been here. This show is really a, an homage to old school. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, it's, it's my way of keeping the business alive. Well, then we have to do this, okay? Yes, sir. Let's do my Bruno imitation, but you have to ask me, uh, Bruno, uh, why do you hate... Uh, Bobby Duncan or Ken Patera, and I'll give you Bruno's stock answer to every opponent. Okay, okay. go ahead, Bruno Champ. You uh, you have a big match coming up uh, at the Garden this Saturday night. There's a lot of there's a lot of animosity, Champ, between you and Big Bob Duncan. Oh wait, I gotta stop you. I'm sorry. You gotta ask me why I hate him. Oh, I was getting it. <laughs> oh, I'm using my word now. See that my yeah. whole. Oh, I, I'm an interviewer. I got to build up the drama. I'm being silly. Go ahead. Go ahead. By Bruno, the way, why do you hate funny. Big Bob yeah. Duncan? Right. I'm sorry. Go. I interrupted you, and I apologize. No, no problem. Bruno, why do you hate Big Bob Duncan so much? You know, this Duncan guy, I don't hate Duncan, but I hold a lot of animosity toward him. That's why I had to cut you off, because he never said he hated anyone. He always say, you know, this Kempatero, you know, he's the strongest man in the world, and doggone it, you know, when you ask me, do I hate Kempatero, I don't hate him, but I hold a high animosity toward him. He always... Oh my God, I love that. I love. You know what? That's how Bruno spoke. <laughs> he, did. he did. He did. If you've ever had lunch or dinner with Bruno and he got into telling stories. Oh, my God. I could listen to his stories all night long. Yeah. You know, and uh, and one day, one day, Bill, I'm going to have to have you take me up to Rico's in Pittsburgh. Uh, well, I'm nowhere near there. I'm near Philadelphia. I know. I'll pay for the gas. <laughs> well, if you eat at Rico's, you will get gas. So don't worry about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but no, I would love to invite you um, from where you are, from your doorstep to where I am. It's two hours, and I'd love to have you as a guest in Actors Alley when, when this is all over. I would love to. You know, you and I have a, a buddy who's actually appeared at Aptor's Alley, and I thought he was actually going to tear up Aptor's Alley. Oh. Our good mutual friend, the metal maniac, Jeff Miller. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, oh, yeah, he was really, yes, great guy. And he's been down to Aptor's Alley with the way back when with, with the brother. He and the Superfly came down, and they spent yeah. a long time here, brother. I miss Jimmy, bro. He was a good friend of mine. The last time I, I had Jimmy work for me at the Sands Hotel Casino. 
in Atlantic City. We did a, a, a show. I was the only promoter at the time who had a New Jersey casino license. I was there. I was Were there. you? I was there. You little shit. <laughs> I was there. Yes. That was at the Sands Casino. And that was the last time Jimmy worked for me. Um, uh, Carol wouldn't let him work for me anymore because she got knocked off her chair by one of my boys yeah. named Slayer. Okay. And uh, and Jimmy thought it was a shoot. And I said, no, he was just, just the way he works. That's his character. He goes, I don't like it, brother. I don't like it, brother. That's it. That's it. I don't like it. I don't show up anymore, brother. But it's beautiful in the TV Wonderland. Yes. Yeah. But after a couple of beers, he was all good. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. Beer and chicken wings. He loved his yeah. beer and wings, bro. He loved to sing. He loved sing, singing Elvis songs. But in my book, uh, Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. Thank you. But in my book, there's a whole chapter of uh, Jimmy and I when we went to uh, uh, Japan and Hawaii together. And, uh, yeah, it was quite a time. Quite a time. I actually have Jimmy's buddy, uh, Phil LaRusso, come oh, on the show. I talk to him all the time. He's Uncle Phil. Yeah. I wish Uncle I had Phil and hair. Uncle Bill. Yeah, but I wish I had his hair. He has got the most beautiful head of beautiful silver white hair. Yes. He really does. He really, and he's always cooking. And I don't know how the hell he's not four hundred pounds right now. I don't get that either. I don't understand. He's, he's one of my always... favorite people. When when you talk about genuinely nice people, oh my god, the wrestling business. He's in the top five. He's in the top two. He is absolutely amazing. What a wonderful man. Wonderful guy. Yes. He uh, he'll be here. Uh, we're actually going to have him here June 16th, and we're going to talk about uh, Jimmy and, uh, you know, the man behind the Superfly, because there was a lot there that people don't know about, and we're not going to touch Allentown, Pennsylvania. Not what a thousand-foot pole, brother. I ain't going there. Yeah. I'm not going there. Don't want to, don't need to. He was my friend, and I want to remember him that way. Sure, sure. Exactly that way. There are a lot uh, of wrestlers who have had legal issues and worse than that, that the way I want to remember them and the way I speak about them as a reporter is the professional side, not that private side. <coughs> exactly. Exactly. So what is next for the uh, evolving life of Bill Apper? Because brother, you don't stop. You you you're always doing something. You've got the after chat, after alley, uh, onewrestling.com. You've got you got all this stuff going on. When when do you ever like relax? I don't. I have a full time day job for the past yeah. thirteen years where I work for a nonprofit agency called Ahead A H E D D dot org. You can look it up. And yes, sir. Uh, and the company's um, focus is to make sure that persons with various degrees of disabilities are able to get into competitive employment and be job coached by us to make them successful. That so I do that beautiful. all day and I do the wrestling thing all day. And what's next? You never know. I, you know, periodically the WWE network calls upon me. Sure. Um, I'm contemplating, and this is a scoop, 
of opening up an online advisory um, site where if people want to talk to me for a half hour to help advise them on their career or broadcasting, whatever, there will be a way to get that done. That sounds beautiful. I like that. I like that. I have to tell you a little bit of personal family trivia. Uh, my grandfather in South Philly was a bookie. He used to take numbers. His accountant was one Mr. Phil Zacco. Wow. Wow. That, he was, that, that was his accountant. I grew up calling Phil Zacco Uncle Phil. And I spent my entire childhood at 45th and Market Street in Philly. Okay. And if anybody knows that address, it's the home of the old Philadelphia Arena. Right. You remember the arena? And why don't we have... It's not there a lot. Remember, I lived in New York up until 35 years ago. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. My home arena was Madison Square Garden, Sunnyside, the Westchester County Center. Uh, Ridgewood Grove, those were my... I went to Philly maybe once or twice a year. Bill, was the Nassau Coliseum up at the time? Yeah, Uh, not not when I first started my career, but that was another one of the places when I lived on Long Island. Long Island, yeah, I love it. it, Long Island. When I lived on Long Island, you know, that was uh, one of my uh, regular stops, yeah. Oh, man. What happened to the great wrestling venues? I miss the old wrestling buildings. I do too, especially when they took down the Sportatorium in Dallas. And, oh uh, man! I, I remember when I was a kid, my dad—you weren't allowed to go to wrestling in New York unless you were 13 or over. And my I dad know. was my dad knew a state athletic commission. We used to go to the garden when I was 10 or 11 years old and sit yeah. at the top of the old garden before the one on 34th Street. This was, yeah, where, yeah. It was on the building where. Magazine was on 51st and 8th or 50th and 8th. And somewhere in my basement, I have uh, eight millimeter movies of highlights of uh, Buddy Rogers. Oh my God. Don't know where those things are. But yeah, another one of my friends, Buddy Rogers. I'm a New Yorker living in the Philly Burbs. Yeah, my father actually bought Buddy's Bar. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he was another one of my first imitations. See, the Raymond Morgan, the broadcaster, would say, "Oh, buddy, Friday night you're wrestling Antonino Rocca," and buddy said, "You know something, pal? This guy Rocca might have it in the body, but he doesn't have it here." And now you're going to remember this. Um, in the past few years, I have been in contact with his manager, Bobby Davis. Do you remember yeah. Bobby Davis? He lives in Texas, and he's in his probably in his uh, early 80s. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And he called one once in a while when he and I talk, we always exchange our buddy imitations. Wow, that's amazing. You know what? Buddy was a character. He really was. He was another one of those guys that always had like a short stogie in his mouth, chomping on a cigar. Never lit it, but he always chomped on it. Right. And everybody was Pally. Called everybody yeah, Pally. I loved it. He was a wonderful man to me. He I really have, was. I have online on YouTube just a few minutes of it, but I did an, in 1979, I did an entire cassette one-hour interview with Buddy about his yeah. whole life for an hour and a half interview. Oh, Parts wow. of that are on uh, onewrestlingvideo.com. Yeah. yeah. 
I'll tell you what, Bill, I, I could go another three hours with you, but I know we're committed to, um, to doing 30 minutes and, uh, we're going to honor that. But, oh, well, we got somebody coming in here. Hold on. Hold on here. What we got Just going on? Somebody's trying to, to join us here. Oh, wow. If it's Vince McMahon, I, you know, I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, the picture looked like Hulk Hogan, though. But, yeah, the picture looked like well, Hulk. If Hulk came on here, there's only one thing he would say. Do you know what that is? What you going to do, brother? brother. An answer, and after, run all over you. Oh, here he is. Here he is. Oh, Wild Bill after. What, what brother? What you going to do, brother? Now the random mania finally caught up with you. Well, let me tell you something, brother. All the maniacs are watching both of us on the show, and they're going to want to know who's got more hair, who's got less hair. I ain't showing. Because you always see me with a top on here. I saw him. I saw him. I saw you grew a beard like I used to have, okay? And you shaved it off. You're looking kind of semi-clean right now, okay? But, you know, since I spoke to you at the big event, I've been chasing you all over the country, brother, just trying to catch up with you. And of all things, here I am with you and on what, Wrestling with the Future, man. Look at I got but, Bill After, I got Angelo DeCipio, two icons together, man. I am so stoked right now. I could just pee my pants. Well, Hulkster, no, I gotta ask you a question, Hulkster. All right, brother. What you gonna do, brother, when Aptermania runs wild on you? Well, let me tell you, Angelo. <laughs> big wild Bill. Bill is a scary man now. Bill looks like he's a, a frail little guy that goes up with a microphone, but I know for a fact he would just as soon flex, smack you over the head with that microphone, or put it somewhere that it shouldn't be. So I'm afraid of bad Bill after. He's my <laughs> idol. He's an icon. He's the best journalist that the world has ever known. But he scares me a little bit. Baby, oh, baby, baby, wonderful Willie still has... The six-second figure four leg lock, if you will. He can still put anyone, anyone in the figure four leg lock six seconds. So next time you and I go face-to-face at any event, a big event, a small event, you better watch out for wonderful Willie and all his beautiful babies, if you will. You know, it sounds sounds to me like you also got the bionic elbow, okay? One of these things. <laughs> yeah, right there. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, I just, down oh. No. <laughs> Don't make me drop the leg. I'm afraid I couldn't get up in these days. No, you oh, definitely. I need, I need, uh, you and I talked. Uh, yes, I need sir. you to IM me on uh, Facebook and let yeah. me have your contact information so I can put you on, uh, uh, I can have the Hulkster on the after chat. <laughs> you got it, Wonderful. brother. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Bill. The pleasure of being here. And I didn't know we had so many great uh, people that we knew. Joe Franklin. Uh, oh, my God. You probably, sure. you probably knew Soupy Sales then, too. I actually did know Soupy Sales. And actually, funny you should say that. We've got a show uh, June 23rd. Old Hollywood. Um, it's a tribute to the 1960s and 70s television shows. And we're going to have memorabilia from the Soupy Sales Show. Wow. Batman. Yeah, check this out. The Don't Soupy Sales Show. Batman. 
the lone the original Lone Ranger cereal Clayton back in the fifties. And uh, we have a guy who owns the entire original set of the honeymooners. Wow. Is coming on. I will tune in. I will tune in for that. For oh, sure. I think you 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 would love this. This is like right up our alley. So now wait a minute. Yes. I'm going to ask the two of you, and then I'll tell you mine since we're discussing this, and then I have to get out of here. I have to drive Andy to the train station. Um, what was your favorite TV show of that era? Batman, hands down. Rin Tin Oh, I, that was a great show. You know what mine was? The Fugitive. Oh, yeah. David Jansen. David Jansen. One-armed man. You know, they always asked him, somebody would recognize him, and they'd say, uh, uh, you know, his name was Richard Kimball, the character, and they'd say to him, I know you, what's your name? And he'd go, uh, um, Lincoln, Joe Lincoln. They said, no, 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 you're, you're that Kimball guy, and you killed your wife, and he always had the same line. He'd always say, well, if it's any consolation to you, I didn't kill her. He always said that, every episode. Yeah. But no, I'm going to watch that show. I'll tell you what, Bill, thank you so much. I got to have you back on. I really do. I would love to. I would love to do this. And uh, and the whole story, you and I are going to get together one day and do that after chat. Oh, yeah. Macho (laughs) 2.0 mega powers. Me and you, baby. Oh, by the way, Bill, Lanny Poffo is the reason you're here tonight. Thank you. I, I was, that's why I brought Randy up just now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Lanny says hi. And also Barb Goodish says, give Bill a big social distance hug. So there you go. Thank you. Barbara Goodish, you know, I knew uh, Bruiser Brody so. Oh, gosh. Well. I was at their house. I went to Japan with him. Just uh, mm. He was one of my closest, closest friends. And same thing with uh, Lanny Poffo. Uh, yeah. I was the guy who got got he and Randy to stage that match um, in Memphis just for the Pro Wrestling Illustrated cameras. Yeah. yeah. yeah I love Lanny. Yeah, we have, we're, we're saluting the wrestling wives. We're doing a special show with Barb Goodish, Karen McDaniel, who's been on the show oh, three I times. Love I love Karen. Isn't she wonderful? Tell her I said hello. I See, I can't she... do any salute shows because the last time I did that, I knocked myself out. <laughs> <laughs> And there will be a surprise wrestling wife on that show. I'm not legally obligated to uh, announce it just yet. I know who it is. She's here right now. She's right here. Geraldine. Hey, Geraldine, they, are you going to be on that show? You better cut that out, honey. Don't tell them this is supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I know it's a I surprise. I love it. <clears throat> All um, right. Thank Never you. a dull moment at the after house. <laughs> I'm telling you. But don't Bill, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Take care. Bill after everybody. I had a great time and I'll see you at the matches eventually. Eventually. <laughs> All right, Bill. Take good. care. Have a great night, brother. Nice to see you as well, my friend. Bill, Thank it's always you. my honor to see you, sir. Talk to you. My my honor too. So make sure you're uh, uh, one of you gets me his number. So when I do, oh, one of absolutely. These days we'll do that. <clears throat> you got it.
You're terrific, uh, by the way. I yeah. love your interview style. You've got that great old school radio interview style. Did you know Ray Dariano as well? I I know that. And why do I know that name? I don't. He show on NBC with Soupy. He was Soupy's co-host on the radio show. Thank, that's show why I know the name. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Take care. The great Bill Lapter, everybody. Bye-bye. Wow, what an amazing interview. I got to have him back. Well, you know, brother. (laughs) How you doing? You're looking, you are looking good tonight. I am doing good. I am feeling good. I'm ready for whatever happens. Let me show you how much I respect Bill Apter, okay? I'm a smoker. I have been holding on to this cigarette for 30 minutes already and won't light it because I don't want him to holler at me. Yeah, well, I might holler at you, too. Yeah, but I can take you. Yeah, you probably could, brother. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there yeah, we go. Bill, you know, I, I met Bill about 32 years ago. Right. Um, uh, doing a TV taping. And he got me aside and uh, um, did an interview, took some pictures of me and Jimmy Cornette. Uh, oh, sure. In, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And it really got things started. Well, let's talk about that. You know, I was looking, Randy, oh, by the way, everybody, this, is, this gentleman is known nationally and internationally, quite frankly, as the world's number one Hulk Hogan impersonator, Randy Hogan. Everybody, Randy, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So um, let's talk about this. Have you always bore a striking resemblance to Terry? Yes, I absolutely did. The only and when was the was first time somebody said to you, um, hey, dude, you look like Hulk Hogan? I was wrestling in a match up in North Georgia at a little bar and went to see a friend of mine wrestling. Had no intention of being in the ring myself. But you always take your gear with you. And uh, somebody sure. didn't show up, and he says, you want to wrestle? And I said, sure. So I was Randy Franklin at the time. Brown always had the mustache, always had the hair. Yeah. And he said, you know, he said, you look like Hulk Hogan. So we're going to call you Hal Hogan. And I says, <laughs> wait a minute, Hal Hogan. Uh, I don't know who they're talking about. You know, how about Randy Hogan? He said, okay, from now on, you're Randy Hogan. So I went home all excited. Now, I only had about five or six matches in my life. Went home, bleached my hair, bleached the mustache, bleached out the eyebrows. And that's how Randy Hogan got started. Just that simple. Just that simple. As a little promoter in a little shot in a beer bar, probably 30 drunk guys sitting at the bar. And he said, you you look like Hulk Hogan, so we're going to call you Randy. That's great. You know what? It's funny because that's how people don't understand that you you never know who's going to show up at any given time in any place. You never know if there's an agent, a scout, somebody that's connected that can do something for you. Here you are in, in a little shot and beer joint and a guy says, hey, we can do something with you. 
That's remarkable, man. That's really remarkable. So you mentioned that you wrestled. Uh, how long have you been wrestling, and uh, and what names, other than uh, obviously other than Randy Hogan, did you wrestle under previously? Well, I had a Randy Franklin. Um, pretty much always was was Randy Hogan. You know, a couple of names here every once in a while. You know, I'd put on a mask somewhere or whatever else. So, but basically, uh, uh, I did it f- pretty much full time for about fifteen years. Right. Um. And uh, always did the, uh, basically always did the, the Randy Hogan thing. So, Did you ever spend time in Philadelphia? No, I did not. Okay. I'm asking for a very specific reason. There was a Hulk lookalike in Philadelphia. I don't know if you heard the story. That caused quite a bit of a stir uh, at a match. Um, and so much to the point where they asked him to leave. Whoa. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I've never seen this guy before or since, quite frankly. But, brother, you look like Hulk. This guy was Hulk. I've, I've heard about never him. seen anybody look that much. The face, the body, the hair. It, it was scary. To your knowledge, you know, in wrestling, there are, you know, macho lookalikes. Hulk lookalikes. I know. I know that you know uh, Brandon Savage. That's the the Randy Savage. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's like kind of like the uh, Elvis impersonators of the wrestling market. You know, there's there's guys you know emulating their heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them making a living. Some of them are really bad, and some are like yourself are really really good. Um. Is that been for you a hindrance or has it been a plus for you over the years to look like Hulk? It has been a complete plus. You know, it's funny. A lot of guys, a lot of these guys don't wrestle, never wrestled. Okay. Yeah. I did wrestle. A lot of similarities with me. I never said I was Hulk Hogan or Hulk's brother or his nephew or his cousin or his uncle or anything else that I've been yeah. called through the years. You know. Yeah. I always wrestled as Randy Hogan as my own entity. Yeah. Um. But uh, like I said, a lot of Brandon, for instance, you know, he's done movie. He's done a lot of the the macho stuff. You know, there's, oh, a, sure. there's a couple of them out there that are great. Yeah. But uh, I think it helped me when I uh, when I got up and started working with WCW. When the wars were going on, you know, yeah, Hulk was coming up as uh, as an enhancement person, okay, or yeah. a jobber, or a carpenter, or whatever you wanted to call me, okay. Sure. As one of those guys, and having the handy the Hogan look, first of all, they didn't want me to change my name. They wanted me to stay as Hogan. Yeah. And they squashed me by the biggest and best that they had. Week after week. And I think it was a ploy against, well, here's what we do to Hogan's, you know. You think uh, the yeah. Hogan's are so big and bad, we'll show you. So I think yeah. it's more of a thing between uh, Ted Turner and Vince McMahon, Hogan versus Hogan type of thing. But, yeah. Uh, you know, like they, like they say in the business in our end, you know, pin me, pay me, you know. Exactly. And, 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 they, and they did. So, so we did that, and they would make comments once in a while. Jimmy Cornette was doing commentary in one of my matches. Yeah. And uh, uh, he said something to the effect that he said, well, I wish he, I bet he wishes his big brother was here now. 
you know, <laughs> alluding to like Hulk was my big brother. Yeah. And, uh, so everybody in the media, everybody started picking up on that. All oh, here's Hulk's little brother and everything. So. Yeah. Well, I was asking because sometimes looking too much like somebody uh, can get you some heat. And I'm wondering if if the, if your look ever got you any heat with the, with anyone, whether it was the boys or whether it was uh, fans or whatever the case may no. have been. Of course, they ridicule you. I mean, he's six seven, you know, and uh, I'm a six foot. You know, he's muscled up three hundred pounds. You know, I'm trying to push it two thirty. Uh, right. A lot of differences, so I would get harassment like that, verbal stuff. Yeah, but never anything really, uh, really negative. It was embraced because. The thing is, back in the day, old school stuff, I was on TV every week, sometimes yeah. two or three times. I'd be on uh, the main event, and then I'd be in some other super station, and then I worked for Continental out of Atlanta with Robert Fuller and that. And that was playing on TV at the time. So all they knew was, well, here's Randy Hogan in our little high school gym on a Saturday night. Yeah. Wow, he was on TV. So it kind of makes you like a TV star. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's that's how it grows up, you know. Don't oh, sure. say I was on Hogan's coattails or whatever. And yeah. if I did an impersonation and pushed myself off that way, it would be yeah. different. But uh, oh, absolutely. Well, let's talk about Hulk for a second. Uh, he obviously knows of you, right? Yes, he does. Uh, you guys have met, I'm sure, at some point. We have never spoken. Really. The first time. I am really, actually surprised by that, Randy. I'll be honest with you. I'm really surprised. Well, we, we never crossed paths, even though he lives about an hour from me and everything. I've been to his shops. I've been to the beach. I've been to his bars, his restaurants, and everything else. We just never come. The, the closest I came was when he jumped to WCW, and they had a like a ticker tape parade at, at Disney World. Oh, MGM yeah, I, I know the guy that was driving the car, J.J. McGuire. Well, if you old tapes, I was there. I was working, had a little wrestling uh, show on a, a radio station at the time. Right. So they sent me as a reporter. So here I was in pretty much in the front as a reporter yeah. watching it. Him and Jimmy Hart were up on the stage and everything. Yeah. And he looked down at me and just kind of nodded and winked. That was it. It's like, wow, he recognized me, I guess. And, and that yeah. was it. Only when I went to the big event in November, in this past March, yeah, for the first time, Jimmy Hart was right across the aisle from me. Yeah. And I was a little bit nervous because, you know, him, him and Hulk talk every day. I mean, they are oh, their sure. best friends, legit business partners, best friends and everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I wanted to get a picture with him. I said, Jimmy, would you mind if I got a picture with you and everything? Yeah. He says, oh, not a bit, not a bit. And, I, I, of course, I thanked him very humbly and everything and, and told him I appreciate it. He says, you know, he says, I talk to Terry just about every day. You know, and you have, you have come up and everything. And he said, we really appreciate what you're doing, keeping the Hogan thing up there, you know, keeping yeah. nose clean, no scandals, no nothing like that. You know, That's he great. said, said, you're doing great. He said, I love the outfit because I was all gimmicked out. And uh, yeah. just that little thing from Jimmy saying, hey, it's okay. Yeah. It, it almost brought well, tears absolutely. to my eyes after all these years. So you got his seal of approval. I did. That's great, man. That's amazing. It just blows my mind here, you know, looking at you and talking to you, thinking to myself, 
You never met the guy. That's just never. amazing. That's my bucket That's list. Amazing. Isn't that's crazy? That's just I mean, crazy. He's one place out, and you know, I just started. I started doing you know conventions and that. Of course, he doesn't do those. Yeah. Um, step at his little shop and everything. So uh, maybe right. one day. Well, you never look. It's like what do they say in wrestling? Never say never. Never say never. Never say never. It always comes around. Oh man! I, I didn't. I never. I tell you, I'm having more fun now than when I actively wrestled. Well, I was going to say, you're really in demand. Yeah, you're really in demand, it seems. You know, you're doing, you know, a a number of podcasts. You know, of course, my own podcast. Uh, You've been with our friends Monty and the Pharaoh. Um, Great guys. Um, You've done a number of uh, conventions. Um, You know, how do you... Let's say, well, let's talk about the convention circuit for because I'm I'm actually booked for a couple. Um, how do you come across on the convention circuit? Are people receptive to you? Yes, I could not. I could not? not believe how much. I hate to say how much love I got. Okay, but how many? How much positive reinforcement I got? At the yeah. events, it's a big event, and then uh, the one in Albany, which was the next day. Right. Um, just people, they come up, they want to talk, they want to get pictures, you know, they want to buy uh, merchandise or whatever else. And I'm thinking, sure. God, me? I never got this attention when I wrestled. And now all of a sudden, right. I think there's a resurgence. Everybody wants to see the old guys now. Yeah, yeah you know girl. what? That's funny you say that. Because before you joined us, it's funny that you say that because just before you joined us, Bill Apter and I were exactly talking about that. The nostalgia factor. You know, they want the Hawks back. They want the Randy's Savages back. They want Steve Austin back. Even, uh, you know, the Warrior, for, for crying out loud, you know? Sure. The, these old characters. <clears throat> so let's talk about that. Where do you stand on... The lack of characters in wrestling, Randy. Oh, well, you, I guess you have to look at how the business has changed, you know, from what it was. Right. When it started, you had this big blonde guy, and, and we'll, we'll stick with the Hogan thing, you know, yeah. coming up, and, and you, had the, you had the Iranian champion, and then you had the all-American blonde-haired surfer-looking dude come in, win it, and everything else, okay? Yeah. From that, it carried on now, cartoons on TV. Yeah. You know, so you went from that and you went to other characters. And yeah. then you've always had had silly little gimmicks going on, but more and more. I think that got homogenized so much through the years that now, um, well, you've got like The Fiend, okay, and of course The Undertaker, which is old school, so he don't count. But right. new guys like The Fiend and that, they really have, uh, have something to offer the old school fans because exactly. now if you think about it in the old days and I'm talking about when I was young Dick the Bruiser sure. the Crusher guys San Martino even oh sure barrel chested guys they were bodybuilders you know then you had the next group coming in you know you had one or two but then you had the Lugers and you look on TV now and they're all muscled up bodybuilders you know yeah. the women are all pretty with the exception of maybe a handful are all models so it's the eye yeah. candy. So the things have, have changed so much that... You know, it's it's interesting because... And what you're saying 
it's almost as if it's Randy. It's almost as if you listened to my last show, because this is exactly what we were talking about. Really, we were. I'm telling you, we and I mentioned Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher and Bulldog Brower, these barrel-chested guys. And I said the question I asked my guest, who by the way was Lanny Pavo. Uh huh. Um, I said, Lanny, what happened? To the way wrestlers looked, what I mean, we we grew up, you know, perceiving wrestlers being these larger than life, you know, amazing guys. I'll give you a perfect example. You brought up the guy's name, Dick the Bruiser. Okay, the Crusher. They weren't huge guys, but they had enormous personalities. Randy. Yes, they did. What happened to that, brother? Tell me what happened to that. Well, back then. Of course, nothing was scripted. They went from, they just went to it. Personality. Okay? Exactly. If you had, and, and look at, realistically, Hulk Hogan, technically, if you watch his Japan matches, he can wrestle. Basically, over here, he didn't do a lot of wrestling. No. He really didn't. But he had the personality. He sold tickets. He put butts in the seats. That's what's exactly. important. It's, it's more and more of a, of a business now. Um, I think there yeah. was before. Before you know, you saw, like you said, the Dick the Bruisers, Bruisers, and that you wouldn't mess with them in a bar. Oh God! You go in no. a bar now, and you might be sitting next to a guy, a pro wrestler, say a, a Finn Balor or a, a Jack Gallagher, weighs yeah. 167 pounds. You know, Randy, you could sit next to a wrestler in a bar these days and never know he's a wrestler. Absolutely, not in the old days. No, in the old days you'd see their heads all carved up. You know, and yeah. they did big, and and they were always, they were always in character. They were always. Oh, in, oh my they, god! They yeah. never broke kayfabe. They never broke character. Yeah, you that's funny that because when when Bill After was on with me just a few minutes ago, I called him at the beginning of the introduction. I called him the gatekeeper of kayfabe. <laughs> that that's a term that I that I copyrighted, <laughs> and so I want to talk to you. About that lost little gem that we call kayfabe. I grew up in the kayfabe generation. I've been in this business 48 years. Okay. That's a long time. Uh, and, and in it 48 years. And I, and I ran shows. And I one thing that I always told my guys. When any of the boys that worked for me. What you do here. You do out there. They think that this is who you are. Let them believe it. What happened to that? Where did that go? The internet. Ah, okay. Talk the to me, internet. brother. Okay. In the old days, you didn't know. You had to remember the sheets come out. The observer, oh, and they God. had all kinds yeah. of the sheets that you had to subscribe to, and you get once in a month in the mail, you know, most of that was yeah. results and stuff. But now, you can see everything. Um, yeah, I, I guess a lot of it had started, I don't know, way back when, but I remember uh, uh, Eddie Mansfield going on 60 Minutes. Oh, know, my and, God, yeah. And he they jumped all business. over him for exposing oh. and everything else. But the, that but was brutal. Every, yeah, brutal. Everything is out there now, though. Everything. Um, and that's I think that's where it started. I think if, if kayfabe, if, yeah. and, and it happens with, starts with the boys, okay? Oh, we, sure. If, if the younger guys in that, if you keep your mouth shut yeah, and you stay in character, 
whether it's a, a heel or a baby, whatever it is, if you're in a grocery store, it's tough, but a little come if you're a big heel and a little kid comes up to you for an autograph, get away from me, kid. You gotta do that. Yeah. That's why they're, because they're gonna pay for the Bobo Brazils to come in, okay, and whip your butt. Mom and dad yeah. take me. I want to see him get beat up. It don't happen no more. That's the problem. I think everybody can go on the internet and find out everything about the business. Let me ask you a question. What do you make of this term smart mark? What does that mean? Smart mark is somebody that kind of knows what's going on and they think they know even more than what's going on. Go ahead. And they Talk want everybody to, to it, know brother. that they know everything that's going on. Preach so, it, brother. Yes. <laughs> it just so they will tear guys down, build guys up, you know, keyboard oh. warriors they call them or whatever else. You know, that's terrible. Yeah. And, and I go through it now even. I'll go on Facebook once in a while. And there's a, a those, every six months comes out just a picture of, of me in the ring in that. And it says, you know, when you can't get the name brand and you got to go get the generic brand or something stupid yeah. like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but they're talking about me. You know, here I am. Yeah. Pushing 70 years old. Tell you yeah. what, brother. There you go. Pushing 70. Yeah, I, was, I can still remember everything. Remember the old days, you know. And oh, until sure. I start dribbling down my chin and forget, I'm going to preach it, and I'm going to tell it like it is, you know. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing, you know. I asked Lanny when he was on the show with me, and I even asked Magnum TA when he was on with me two weeks ago. I said, um, you know, how protected were you guys? And I asked Magnum, I said, how protected were you guys um, when you just went out in public, uh, when you went into a, you know, a restaurant or a bar? Uh, you know, he, uh, Magnum said, if we ever broke kayfabe and it got back to the promoter, we were done. Done. Out. Absolutely. He said, we were out. And I asked Lanny the same thing, and he said, by the time he came along, nobody really cared because everybody was, it was right, it was exactly what you were saying, with the dirt sheets, when they were just coming out and people were starting to get, like, wise to what was happening. You know, they were becoming, you know, I hate this term, but smartened up to the biz. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's another thing, like, what the the hell does that even mean, smartened up to the biz? I mean, my, and I get in trouble for this because, you know, first of all, I'm Italian and I got a big mouth. <laughs> number <love> two, <laughs> and number two, I don't hold back. And my contention, Randy, has always been, if you're smart, you're not a mark. And if you're a mark, you're not smart. So it just befuddles me when I hear the term smart mark. Mm-hmm. And I and I shake my head and go, what the hell does that even mean? Like, you know, and everybody thinks today, and, and I really want to hear what you think about this, but everybody thinks today that they're an expert on the business. They all know what's best for the business. They all, they're all, you know, fantasy booking matches, you know, mm-hmm. um, I got to hear what you think about this. You know, the, the, the so-called armchair quarterbacks, Randy. That's the problem. 
99.9% of them have never been in a ring. And I don't care how smart you think you are or how much you know the inside information on what goes on and, and is it fake, which, you know, nobody wants to hear that fake stuff because it's yeah. not fake. When you go over the top rope and you're on a cement floor, you hit the yeah. cement floor. You know, yeah. When you land on your head, you land <laughs> on your head. When you don't uh, protect yourself and your head goes into a steel turnbuckle, it opens you up. Yeah, We've absolutely. We've all done that. These guys don't know that. They just think it's all playing games and acting. And yeah. we go in and we rehearse the matches hours ahead of time and everything else. Again, back in the day, there were times when the first time you ever saw your opponent was in the ring. Yeah. You're not backstage talking about nothing else. You know, there, there's there's certain things that that you know and everything else. And that's where training comes in. Yeah. It's very hard. Oh, back then, boy, it that's like, a... It was like magicians back then. It was a closed yes. thing. You didn't know. You may think it's all fake, but you didn't really know. That's how I got yeah. into it. Because you didn't know how the trick was done. That's right. You know, exactly. here's the thing. You, you said something very important, really important. When they started to pull back the veil and let people peek behind the curtain, they gave it away. It was like... Like the Wizard of Oz. When you found Very out. That, yeah. When you found out that the wizard wasn't a wizard. But he was a guy behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Pulling all the gadgets. You know. You were let down. And I think. Our generation. Is saddened by that. But it seems to me. That the new breed of ki- uh, kids. I'm going to call them kids. Because that's yes. what they are. You know. They like knowing, you know, uh, they like knowing how the wizard does his does his deal. Mm-hmm. I got a problem with that because, um, you know, guys for years and years, you know, bled and suffered and broke their bones protecting kayfabe and, uh, you know, and making it look believable and suspension of disbelief which you don't even hear that term anymore. The other thing is guys now, and I want your, I really want to hear what you think about this. I'll tell you what I think, but it doesn't really matter what I think because nobody's going to listen anyway. I'll listen. But I'm not a big fan of, you know, calling spots backstage. (laughs) I'm old school. Call it in a ring. Talk to me about that. What happened to that? That lost art. Now, where that got started, like you, I have my own opinions on it, okay? I yeah. agree. I never worked a match out, okay? The only thing you knew is maybe an opening spot, how long you had, who's going over and what the finish is. That's the it. The finish. Exactly. That's it. But, you know, you got to go back further than that because it comes to training. Now, back in, back in our day, anybody couldn't become a wrestler. Now you can go to any 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 storefront, and there's somebody going to train you in the backyard or in a gym. Now there are some reputable schools out there that teach yeah. you. Most of what they teach you touches on, if not completely, the old school ways. Yeah. Hey, Fabe, the mat wrestling. Right now, how many high spots do you see in a match? Yeah. 100. How many how many Too finishing much. maneuvers? Are done, you know. Yeah. In the old days, anybody who did anything off the top rope, crossbody or something, yeah. that's a finish. 
Now you don't see that. Now they're kicking out. No, and I'll tell you what, you you hit on something so important. In fact, tonight we were supposed to have on Danny Cage, the owner of the Monster Factory. But at the last he yeah, he he canceled out at the last minute. But I knew the owner of the Monster Factory previously, Larry Sharp, the guy who started the Monster Factory. And I think that the one thing that you 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 nailed it, you put your finger right on the pulse of it, is the lack of really good training. That anybody who buys a pair of tights and boots can call themselves a wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, and they see these things on TV and they go, oh, I can do that. Okay, let's see how long you last. Will you live to be 30? <laughs> Will you be able to walk when you're 35? Mm-hmm. Will you remember your name when you're 40? Probably not. That's it. And that's the problem. Go ahead. Well, even even starting out old school again, you had to you had to love the passion. You had to have a real passion for the business, okay? Because yeah. then you wanted to study the history, and through the history, you learned. It's just like in school; you, know, you got to take history, whether you like it or not. But you learn things by it. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's you're in there for three or four weeks. You learn how to lock up. And maybe take a bump, certainly not safely, and you're in a yeah. match. I trained for 13 months before I had my first match. Wow. And even then, I had about two spots in it. I was thrilled to death. But old school, they don't just teach you. Yeah. The, the first week, you're doing nothing but locking up. You got to learn yeah. how to fall backwards, how to fall forward, you know. Another thing I don't understand nowadays is when, when I was back in my era, when we were taught, we learned it's safer. They say a, a, a backdrop. Yeah. It's safer to get up in the air, get yourself over, and land flat. You sure? I see so many guys now, not necessarily in that hole, but everybody's rolling. They're all rolling. Yeah. You know, judo style. In the old days, yeah. it was get up high, fall down flat and solid, boom, make a noise, you know? Now there's so much they're rolling. When you went up and you went and that ring snapped, you know? People said, yeah. wow, that must have hurt. You don't say that yeah. no more when the guy just rolls corner to corner and comes back with uh, three drop kicks and, and two missed closed lines and, yeah. and, a, and, a, and a drop down. And something Here's stupid. the funny thing about that. And you'll appreciate it having been in the ring. Here's the funny thing about that. They're getting hurt more now rolling <laughs> than, they, than they would if they took, you know, a flat back bump. Problem uh, is, I would imagine. Yeah. they don't know how to work. The art of the work is missing. You know, I can take a guy and teach him how to bump. I can teach him how to run the ropes. I can teach him how to do a hip toss, arm drag, uh, leapfrog. I, you know, the standard maneuver, right? It's all basic stuff. You know that, right? Yep. But I can't teach him personality. I can't teach him who to be. He has to find that himself. The biggest problem is you've got, like you said, guys that aren't trained. But the other thing is you got guys with no personalities. That's right. And the day of the manager is pretty much over. You know, 
I mean, you got Lesnar, who's oh, marginal, stop, but you got brother. a Paul Heyman. You had a Jimmy Cornette for the Bobby Eaton's. Oh, stop, brother. Know? I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> I want you to, because I'm going to let you go on it. I want you to stop right there, and I want people to listen to what the hell you're talking about. Because, brother, that's something I feel super passionate about. Yes. The old-fashioned mouthpiece. The manager as a distraction, as a part of the match, as the mouthpiece of the match. People don't get it. It's not just some guy that walks you to the ring. The greatest manager, in my opinion, in the history of wrestling, the Grand Wizard, Ernie Roth. Abdul, Abdul Farouk. Yep, he had the Sheik. I was raised back in Detroit, and it was him and the Sheik all the way. Ah, uh, talk to these people. Preach to them, brother. Tell them what's missing. Talk to me about managers. And uh, and give me some examples of, like, your favorite guys. Well, you mentioned it. Uh, Ernie Roth, he was the great. Bobby Heenan. To me, Bobby Heenan could do it all. Oh he could God. talk. He could bump. He could wrestle. J.J. Dillon didn't do a whole lot of it, but they don't know. He was an accomplished wrestler. Oh, he yeah. Into it. And he was always, can, to this very day, Conducts himself very businesslike. He very had much so. They were businesslike, wearing suits, yep. styling and profiling. It was a certain image that the manager projected. Exactly. Um, Thank you for saying that. Thank you, Randy, for saying that. Because the problem is there's no mystique. JJ, who, by the way, has been on the show before, is one of our favorite people here. But J.J. presented that mystique, the businessman, the shrewd businessman behind the four horsemen, the guy that pulled the strings. You had four guys who could all talk, but you had J.J. that put the bow on it. That's it. It made it a nice little package. Go ahead. Talk to me. And it really worked, too. Um, And then you had the quieter ones that I never understood. Again, being... In Detroit and then down the coast in Florida and most of my work in the South, mm-hmm. I wasn't raised on the WWF and all that. I knew of them because I was a fan. I knew of the San Martinos and, and Pedro Morales and all those guys, okay? Yeah. Um, what I never understood was the Arnold Skoland. He was always pretty laid back. Everything I guess yeah. he wrestled too, but laid, laid back type. And mm-hmm. then you got Jimmy Hart, who didn't do a, a whole lot. Except he ran around like a hamster on crack, you know, exactly. all the time. <laughs> and he was fun to watch. People want, people just wanted yeah. the good guy to get yes. a hold of him. And exactly. they would chase him in the ring, under the ring, around the ring, and everything else. Exactly. That he was, was fun gift. to watch. That's the secret right there. Yeah. He was fun to watch. He could, and Jimmy, he had that. That high squealy voice. He still does too, by the way. He still does. Yeah. But he made that work for him. And then you had guys on the other side of the coin, guys like um, Skandar Akbar. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In world class, you had guys like, uh, oh my God. Um, oh, jeez. Oh, even somebody like a, a modern day manager like Slick back in his mm-hmm. day. Yeah. All right. But they knew how to work. You talked about growing up in uh, and watching wrestling in Florida. 
you can't talk about Florida without talking about the famous Graham family, Eddie and Mike. Absolutely. Talk to me about Eddie and Mike Graham. Um, Eddie, I didn't know that well. Mike Graham, I knew extremely well. I worked right. with him. I worked for him. I worked against him. Um, I worked with him. Mike was behind the scenes in uh, up in WCW for a while, or I guess maybe before that when it was Crockett's NWA. See, I was doing the transition, and in that immediate transition, I kind of forget which which side of the fence I'm on. Is it NWA now, or is it Ted Turner yeah. WCW? You know exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that transition was was very good too. But you saw had guys like him, and of yeah. course his best buddy Steve Kern, who's still up, you know, up in. Uh, Connecticut, up in WWE, yeah, um, but they ran solid shows. Yeah. Hey, Fabe, you know, you had Dusty Rhodes down here, and they, a lot of them lived down here, and a lot of them still live down here. Yeah. You know, sure. you got Lonnie, and, and we're all, I'm in the Orlando area, and they're in the Tampa area, which is just about an hour, maybe an hour and a half away. Right. But, you know, they got the Poffos over there. Um, you got John Cena over there. Some of the, the big guys now down the street from me here. You got Bill DeMott, you know, you'll Hugh Morris. Yeah, sure. Um, Great trainer, by the way. Absolutely. And I don't care what, you know, and, and let's talk about Bill for a minute. Because Bill has been efficerated in the media, man. They beat this guy to death in the media. Terrible. But I want to tell you what. You don't get any better trainer than Bill DeMott. This guy was stern, yes, absolutely. Was he fair? Absolutely. Was he good at what he did? The best. They didn't appreciate it because, oh, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. Oh, you know, this. Oh, that. you know what? Grow Cry a set. Crybabies. Exactly. Grow, you know, grow I, a set. When I was in, and I, I was pretty solid when WCW took over from Crockett, yeah. NWA. They fired a lot of the guys because they wanted guys now that could work. Even though yeah. you were going down, if the occasion rose, especially at a house show, they wanted somebody who could work, not just somebody to get squashed all the time. Yeah. So it was almost like an audition type thing. You know, there's guys like me and George South and... And, oh, sure. And a couple of them. George is he's still great. Another good trainer. I love George South. He's an amazing guy. He is. And, and we travel together, him and I, all the time. You know. Oh, the you ran days. roads? Oh, let me tell you. Me you ran him, the roads with George? I would love to hear them stories. <laughs> uh, me and George. Uh, George was always a very straight guy. He really was. He plays yeah. a great heel. But, you know, we'd be driving me and Gary Royal and... and Italian stallion guy. We'd we'd drive from from Atlanta up to Detroit, four of us, in a Ford Escort, <laughs> going staying at a Motel Six, taking the mattress off of the box springs and flipping to see who gets what. Those are true <laughs> stories. You hear old guys talk about those days, okay? <laughs> Bill Demont remembers that. I love it. He remembers that. Now, and one thing that kept us working all the time I was getting to, you never complained. I mean, if yeah. somebody was stiff with you, no matter what was mean, and, and, and I got stories of that stuff, too, you always thanked them after the match. Absolutely. Always. You didn't complain, because if you bitched or complained, you were out of there. Oh, they sure. Didn't anymore. So many guys, you'd see them one time, and they were gone. Yeah. Cry babies. And that's what happened with Bill DeMott. He's teaching them 
toughness, you know, the business yeah. side of it, the realism, the toughness. And the little crybaby said, oh, he's being too hard on us. Yeah, yeah exactly. So now I'm fascinated with uh, Eddie and Mike Graham. Um, Mike, and sadly, the, neither one of them are, are with us anymore. Right. And sadly, both of them left this world the same way, unfortunately. Um, Mike Graham was a, a kind of, they say, the, a chip off the old block, that he had a head for finishes and psychology like that was second to none. Yes. I mean, d- did he really like learn from his father or was did he have an insight on his own? Because you knew this guy. I would imagine that a lot of it came from his father, but a lot of it comes from his surroundings. You know, they would have cookouts and they have all the top guys there. You know, they'd have the Dusties and Kevin Sullivan or, or Tarzan Tyler, whoever, some uh, Billy Graham. They'd be yeah. at the barbecue. So I think he was smart and intelligent enough that he picked up bits and pieces from all these yeah. and then put it together. Um, brilliant. Him and him and when him and Kevin Sullivan both worked together, it was yeah. magic. I love Kevin Sullivan. Always have. Oh, I do too. We're actually we're trying to get him on the show. Oh, wonderful. We're, he was so helpful we're, we're, to me. We are trying to get him on the show. Um yeah, unfortunately, WCW for whatever reason didn't quite see Mike Graham's vision. Um without you know, and I'm not going to ask you to, you know, to reveal anything you don't want to reveal. But what was it about Mike that he felt like he couldn't go on? Like he had his head up against. I think I, I, I think it was probably corporate. He was okay. raised up with his daddy. It was very small decision making, um, working and learning the talent. Um, putting matches, everything Mike learned came from a small mom-and-pop type operation. Right. Once he got with WCW, and they made their changes, you know, when they brought Bischoff, and they had Jim Hurd come in, who totally screwed up, and and there was no consistency there, you know? Yeah. And finally, not over only Mike, but a lot of other guys just kind of gave up, went for the paycheck until the paycheck went away, and that's what happened. You know, when they yeah. had the wars and they were winning – WWE, you know, had some good story, good things going on. And, uh, you know, Vince started uh, dangling some big checks and some of the guys started well, disappearing. Well, you know what? You, you, that's a great segue. You led me right into a great question for you. Did corporate wrestling kill the wrestling business? Corporate being run by non-wrestlers killed the business okay if, if if the corporation or the board and all the decision makers were actually at one time wrestlers or yeah. had that mind whether it be a manager or just somebody mm-hmm. on the inside but you had money people and that yeah. was all, all they knew dollars and cents bottom yeah. line you're right uh, Vince Vince I think got more and more into that I yeah. think when he was coming through with his father, you know, his father was into the money, but he still ran it tight operation. But you can only go so big. It's like yeah. I come from a restaurant background. And when you have one restaurant, it's easy to keep your hands in it. Once yeah. you got 10 or 15 or 20, 
Now you got to rely on other people to make certain decisions for you. Yeah. If those aren't the right people, which is, I think, what happened in a lot of the corporate wrestling America, yeah. that's what happened. The decision makers were now looking at the bottom line. They were looking yeah. at things that they didn't understand. I think you, you nailed it, with, especially with WCW, because you had guys in, in WCW who had no business at all anywhere near a wrestling company. Guys like uh, Bill Bush and Jim Hurd. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's, you know, Jim Hurd came from Pizza Hut. What yep. the hell did he know about running a wrestling company? He, okay, so he made money for Pizza Hut. God bless him. But, you know, selling pizza is not the same as selling a wrestling product. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the one who made the transition pretty well was Eric Bischoff. Well, Eric made the transition. I got my own thoughts on that, which I'll share with you. Um, and, and people who watch this show know how I feel about that. Um, Eric was a bullshitter. Mm-hmm. Eric was able to bullshit his way into deals. Yes. And look, if and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, look, Paul Heyman did the same thing. Sure. With ECW. He took a local regional promotion from Philadelphia. And we still talk about ECW. And they've yeah. been out of business for 22 years now. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, look at WCW could have been today still a contender. You know, but, you know, when you got a pizza salesman. Running the company, that's right. You know, and not a wrestling guy. Then you know you got a problem, yeah. in my opinion, for whatever it's worth. Yeah. I think Bischoff started at one point to become a wrestling guy, especially with the NWO. He was now in the ring. He was a managerial. His yeah. son started wrestling, so he got more more into it. But it was too late. On one hand, you that. got yeah, and, and on one hand, you got. You know, a guy like uh, Eric Bischoff. And on the other hand, you got a guy like Vince Russo. Now, Vince Russo, uh, of course, wrote himself in as an on-air personality. But let's be honest about it. He's largely a writer. Yes. What do you feel about the role of writers in wrestling? Back in the day, Randy, when you and I grew up watching wrestling... You had somebody called the Booker. Mm-hmm. You didn't have writers. Now there are no more Bookers, and they're all writers. So tell me what you think about somebody like Vince Russo as a a wrestling writer. Um, as a writer, he was probably much better than he was being in charge of everything. Um, and I go back to Jimmy Cornette, you know, who was nothing started out as a photographer. You know, yeah. as a kid, like Jimmy, don't like Jimmy, whatever. Um, his mouth gets him in trouble nowadays. Yeah. Before it was part of his gimmick. Now it's for real. You know, personally, yeah. I love Jimmy. He was always wonderful to me. You know, ab- absolutely a great guy. And in his own way, like Kevin Sullivan, um, like Paul Heyman, they have a gift. They have a knack. They can put things together. They yeah. should be in charge. You talked about like bookers and writers and everything else. 
I would think that if, if somebody if somebody gets in their mind, they want to start a feud yeah. with you and I, okay, then you don't get a couple of non-wrestling geeks over here writing a storyline. Exactly. Let you and I, maybe along with the writer, give our ideas, what we think from a wrestling point of view. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're in there and we see the fan reactions. They don't see it all on TV. They don't see right. it all on their schemes. Sure. We know what's selling. We know what's getting heat and what's not. So... We tell him, you know, we think it should go this way and maybe about this long. Okay, writers, put it on paper how you want it to do it. Take it to the higher up to get the approval. And yeah. then don't script us. Just let us go with it. Well, thank you for saying that because here's the thing now, and you know this, Randy. Everything now is so scripted, so word for word. Back in the day when when you and I were, you know, again, you know, in the, you know, more actively in the business, uh, there were things called bullet points. You had bullet points. Yes. Here's a couple of things to hit on. Uh, tell them what time the show is, where the show is. Um, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, uh, who you're wrestling and what to expect. Yes. Dusty Rhodes could do that in one sentence. Mm-hmm. And he would say something like, Ric Flair, I'm going to meet you in the Omni at 7.30, Ric Flair. In Atlanta, Georgia, Ric Flair, I'm going to meet you at 7.30 in the Omni. And when we get there, Ric Flair, I'm going to beat your ass. He would tell you what he was going to do, what time, um, who he was wrestling, and where it was in yes. one sentence. Okay, but he had that gift. Guys, yeah. now they're not bro- they, they're not in the gift. Now they have to go through an acting school. They go through a promo school. They uh, say not only bullet points, but they say this is what you say, and they got a little earpiece in a lot of cases. You know, isn't and that you can ridiculous? tell it's scripted. You can tell that they don't believe what they're saying. When Dusty said that, something, you it. believe that son of a plumber. That that's exactly it. And you you confirmed and you nailed what I said earlier. The suspension of disbelief. The, if they don't believe it, Randy, well, then how are we as fans supposed to believe it? How, in other words, how do you get them to buy into it if if they're not buying into it? You well, know? well, and again, back the old days, even. In in uh, when I was working there on TV and that you had like your your squash matches whatever okay yeah now you look at Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or any of those things when there's a crowd there it could be a pay per view that's what they don't have pay per views no more you know they got all the big main things but nine ninety five and your first pay per view is free and all this yeah you're not going to spend sixty or seventy bucks anymore no um, well the problem is there's there's too many of them. There, there used is. to be, here's the thing, when you and I remember, because we're old enough to remember, there were four pay-per-views a year. You had WrestleMania, Survivor Series, SummerSlam, and Royal Rumble. That was it. That was it. Four. Every three months, they ran another pay-per-view, the big one. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania always started off, like, what, around uh, March, April, right? Yes. And the next one would have been like a Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. Right? 
then uh, then the I think maybe the Rumble and then oh no SummerSlam then the Rumble because SummerSlam yes. was always around what like August somewhere around there yeah fall mm-hmm. yeah and then uh, and then they went to doing a pay per view every month and sometimes two in a month mm-hmm. that's too much and you'd see the same match on Monday Raw for free thank you thank you. Exactly. Somebody's again non-wrestlers making wrestlers' decisions. That's the problem. That's a scary thought, brother. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, we barely scratched the surface of this one. I gotta have you come back. I gotta have you come back. I tell you what. Why don't we do this? Why don't we plan on having you come back with us? Um, Right now, why don't you give everybody your plugs, your social media? Where can they buy that amazing T-shirt you got? Random Mania running wild, brother. <laughs> Randy Hogan on Facebook. I'm going to keep it nice and simple. They got my shirts on this. I got the yellow and red. I got the red. I got the black. I got sunglasses. I got keychains. I got trading cards. Got all that stuff on there. Just and you can buy it direct, you know. Easy to find. Easy to navigate. Um, as far as upcoming events, man, I'm afraid to open my mouth. Because you don't know what's coming up, you know. Well, when for in, in, in August for the gathering and and I got yeah. a, a wrestler's classic in September and let me see October. Uh, there's another wrestle fest in November, uh, uh, wrestlecade in Charlotte and everything. But you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. And I've had two or well, three yeah. dropped off. And there's some other ones that I'm hoping to get picked up for. But anyways, yeah, um, everything I keep. I'm a wide open book on Facebook. I'm on there. My family's on there. My merchandise is on there. Excellent. All right. So that's Randy Hogan on Facebook. He's trust me, folks. He's easy to find. And for us, Wrestling with the Future, uh, our shirts are available on Wrestling with the Future on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Wrestling with the Future. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Wrestling Future. Um. Check us out on all of our platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Podbean FM, Podbay FM, TuneIn Radio, and soon to be, we got our fingers crossed, soon to be on Sirius XM. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. We're waiting to hear about that one. Um. If you got show ideas, suggestions, guest suggestions, hit us up at wrestlingwiththefuture at gmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm easy to find. I'm Angelo DeCipio on Facebook. Or you can reach us at our private group, Wrestling With The Future Podcast on Facebook. Uh, Again, we are on Facebook and Twitter. We have a very visible social media presence. Stop by and say hi. Until next time, oh, by the way, just to give you a a heads up, some of the upcoming guests we've got. We are doing a tribute to the ladies, Ladies Night Part 2. We will have uh, Joyce Grable and uh, and Casey. We will have um, Leilani Kai, Casey Carlisle. We will have Sam Houston coming back on the show. We will have uh, Jimmy Snooker's best friend, Phil LaRusso. We've got, um, oh my God, who we got? We got, well, we got a lot of stuff coming up. Holy Jesus. Uh, Cowboy Scott Casey, Johnny Mantell, JJ Dillon is coming back. 
uh, Tony Villano from the uh, International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame will be with us. We've got like a virtual who's who of wrestling. And I will tell you what, we are booked all the way into the end of July right now. So if you want to know who's coming, hit us up on our Facebook and you'll see there's a list there. That'll be up uh, either tonight or tomorrow with uh, all of our upcoming guests. So, for Randy Hogan, I'm Psychic Medium Angelo, brother. <laughs> what you gonna do? What you gonna do, brother? Uh, and once again, thank you to Bill Apter. And we will get Bill back on the show. Randy, of course, will be back with us. But until then, next time, folks, happy wrestling. We'll see you about. Bye-bye. Yeah.